0: Welcome to my series of conversations with Stalwarts of Music. Today's episode is being partnered by Perpetual Buzz Experiences. They are an artist representation company with three very basic, lofty goals. They are the launchpad for indie musicians, helping them leverage success to produce some of the most memorable experiences for music lovers. They also help generate funding for social causes, and make sure that people have a good time throughout the process. Do check them out on www.perpetualbus.com. We have yet another podcast partner, which is WireUp Music Store, one of the finest music retail stores with state-of-art equipment, your one-stop solution for the best musical gear, ranging from guitars to ukulele, percussive to classical instruments. Do check out their Instagram page which goes by the handle at the rate, wireup.india. Speaking of my guest today, none other than Pete Bellotti, who is a music producer, songwriter and an author. He's been credited with many hits, having worked with Donna Summer as a producer and a writer for a very long stint. He's nearly produced close to about 10 albums with her, And he has also produced several other celebrity musicians that include the likes of Sir Elton John, Janet Jackson, Tina Turner, Shalamar, The Three Degrees, Bonnie Tyler, and many more. He's also contributed to a lot of films that include some big, noteworthy movies such as The Martian, Scarface, Behind the the Candle Bearer, American Hustle, and a lot more. He's also a recipient of countless worldwide music industry awards, which include producer of the year uh, in the US, and he's had multiple Grammy nominations, and he was also inducted into the Dance Music Hall of Fame back in 2004. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to welcome my special guest for today, Pete Bellotti. Hi, Pete. How are you? Which part of the world are you in right now? I am in England, just south of London. And uh, what's special for New Year? What are you doing for New Year's Eve?
1: Trying to stay out of trouble.
0: (laughs) That's, that's, That's a good answer.
1: Just going to a restaurant, that's all. Nothing Nothing special.
0: Lovely, lovely. So I have a couple of interesting questions coming your way as part of our agenda today. So shall we get started?
1: Okay, I'm ready.
0: Uh, how old were you when your parents realised that they had an exceptionally gifted child upon their hands?
1: I don't think they ever thought that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're being too modest.
1: <laughs> no. I... <clears throat> I don't know. Um, My mother was a a very, very good singer, Mm -hmm. um, and she sang all the time, and I think that probably influenced me um, quite a bit. Um, I never really understood how she knew all the words to every song that ever came on the radio. It it puzzled me, um, intrigued me. But I was... I picked up um, a friend's guitar when I was about coming up to 15 years of age. Um, I'm left-handed, so I, I learned all the chords upside down first mm. before I had my own guitar.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, and then I had to learn the chords all the other way around again. <laughs> but that was around about the age of 15.
0: Okay. So after after this, did you also pursue some kind of formal training uh, in terms of your introduction to music?
1: No, no. We just, um, as all kids did, we formed a band. Uh-huh. It must have been atrocious, but we c- carried on. <laughs> um, and you just listened to all the latest hits, okay, and learned to play them and play them in the band. You just learned the parts and yeah.
2: So it was. It was just absorbing music, really.
1: Nothing formal.
0: Uh, What kind of music, if I may ask? What kind of music did you start out with? with Well, my first
1: influence, because I am of that age, was um, Elvis Presley. Um, So I would have heard him. I was too young to sort of go and see his films at the time, but... um, Mm -hmm certainly his music and and rock and roll at that era because it was quite revolutionary at the time because there was this very staid, conservative kind of pop music. Mm -hmm. And then these villains of music came along, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis and all those sort of people. Um, So I was very much into American music. And a lot of the English rock stars at that time we're doing pastiches of American music before they made it their
0: own. Right. You've been a record producer and a songwriter for several many decades now. Why are you an artist and why do you make people dance through your music? Is there a feeling of catharsis, expression, or just pure aesthetics in whatever you're trying to do? What is the sort of high that you essentially get when you create a piece of music?
2: Oh,
1: I I think, and I've always thought that, I think think that's why most musicians are very happy people. The moment you touch the keys or you pick your guitar up, somehow you feel good. It doesn't matter if you're
2: going to write a good song or a bad song. You still feel good working on the song. And like like a lot of people,
1: um, you have a few successes and a hell of a lot of bad failures. (laughs) Um, So, um, and you can't really distinguish at the time of writing if you're writing something really great or not. It's just the pleasure of writing. And... I was actually writing before I even had an instrument. I'd I'd, I'd write songs
2: mm-hmm.
1: in my head to music okay. in my head.
2: Um, it's just, and I've only ever written music, and I, and
1: I can never, I can never sit down at the piano and play someone else's song. Not not because I don't like them. Um, it's just the moment I touch the piano or my guitars, I'm writing, even today. I just want to write all the
2: time and it's something I can't stop.
0: I'm also interested in knowing uh, what is it like to be Pete the creator? What are some of the impulses or the processes that happen for you uh, in terms of making music? And how much of it is conscious uh, say while working with Donna Summer, who's been exceptional, uh, could you share with us the magic of recording her during your during a stint with uh, while working with her?
2: Well, um, obviously it depends on the song. Um, if if I go to perhaps
1: uh, the best selling one we've ever had was Hot Stuff. Correct. Um, um, that was at a time when we were starting to work s- slightly separately. So Georgia would be going in one direction, and, and I was going more into the rock direction because I I love rock music. And um, so we were in. We had a studio hired for us, and we were. Okay. Donna was writing at home with her husband, Bruce. And Georgia was in the main studio working with a piano and an engineer. And I was sitting in the canteen, the kitchen there, with, mm-hmm. and, and Keith Forsey and Harold Fortemeyer were there. And they were playing Space Invaders. oh, It's a computer game. And I was sitting there on my own, bringing a coffee. And suddenly... I could hear in my head, I need some hard stuff, baby, this evening. So I had the whole whole chorus, and I said, guys, over to the piano. And there was a piano that had half the keys missing. It was a terrible piano. But we sat around the piano, and within about 20 minutes, the whole song was
2: finished. So then um, I made a demo of it. Mm -hmm. Played it to Donna, she loved it. So the next day I went in the studio and
1: we laid down the backing tracks. And it was at that moment that I knew that I wanted a big guitar solo on it, okay. which is something we'd never done before because we, you know, we were doing discos and and, and you didn't have guitar solos and disco music, but so the chap who was working uh, with us, Trevor Veach, He was a contractor, and he would bring in musicians if we requested anything like Paulina de Costa from Earth, Wind, and Fire to do the percussion. Oh. Set. Okay. And I said to him, Trevor, I'm, I need a, a guitar guitarist for tomorrow. I, I need a really good solo. So he said to me, "Well, who's your favourite guitarist?" I said, "What's that got to do with it?" He said. They're all in town. Everyone lives here. He says, "Anyone you particularly like?" So I said, "Well, Jeff Skunk Baxter from the Doobie Brothers is my favorite guitarist." Oh, wow. So he went over, to, went over to the telephone, picked it off the wall, mm-hmm. and this phone, by the way, is in the lyric of "Hot Stuff" because it's on one of those long curly cords. Correct. And Trevor, the contractor, he would pace up and down the room with this stretching this cord. Yards and yards, and so I put in the line, almost rang the phone off the wall because I always thought he was going to pull it off the wall. Anyway, he he mumbled into the phone, and he came over, he said, 11 o'clock. Okay, I said, what? he said, Jeff will be here at 11 tomorrow. I, oh my god! <laughs> so, so that lovely moment changed the song completely, the whole direction, everything changed. So, when Donna came in to sing it. She was she was absolutely mad about it. She loved it. So um, she came in and just sang it. And Donna always sang. She needed one take only. Oh, incredible. Because um, she'd heard it. And, well, she was um, a, what I call a protean singer. So that's someone who could adapt to anything. She yeah. started off as an, in opera at the very beginning of her career. Um, but she could have been a jazz singer, a rock singer, a, an R&B singer, anything.
2: Right. And every
1: time she came into a song, she would put it on like her her own clothes. It was, mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> she just had a feeling. Um, so so she
1: sang it and, and that record was the first single from the album and it went straight to number one. And mm-hmm. I was driving down Rodeo. One day in the car, top down, and I heard it on the radio for the first time. And the sun was shining, and it was a magic moment. Um, and and there was no science to this song. It's just a very simple song with a few chords. It was just an emotion that came out of us. Um, yeah.
2: So that's just one example of... A song
1: like that, with I Feel Love, when Donna came in, once again, she came in to put the vocal on. We'd written everything. I'll tell you more about I Feel Love later. But when she came in, she sang it in head voice, falsetto, straight away in the one take. That wasn't our plan. But when we heard it like that, it was, oh, my God.
2: (laughs) You know, she just, she would take any song... And just make it sound so much better. Yeah. She
1: was a fantastic singer, a lovely lady, a really good friend. We never, ever had a bad moment between us, never a a bad word,
2: ever. Yeah. In fact, the whole crew
1: from Georgia and myself, the engineers, musicians, it's always, been fun and no tension. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, and I think that's probably why it went on for quite a while. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: From whatever you, you said right now, uh, what, what I understand or what I gauge out of it is there are so there have been so many elements of spiritual insight, that of spiritual engagement in many ways. And I have to say that I envy you at this point. Uh, your professional life has been able to parallel your personal journey, uh, wherein you've, you've worked with a legion of artists all the way from Donna Summer to Shalamar to Giorgio Moroder, Elton John, uh, you have written short stories. Uh, you've written music for some incredible movies like Scarface. You've worked at the Abbey Road Studios. Uh, And if I could uh, relate you to someone as one among the pioneers of disco music, I'm sure your time in Germany, the States, and England has probably catalyzed all of this. So have you ever thought of what life might have turned out like if you were in a place like Africa?
1: Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> or,
2: or anywhere else really. I think <clears throat> if I hadn't moved
1: to Germany, it wouldn't have happened, um, okay. and and I might not have ever had any success at all. It's it's serendipity. It's happenstance. It's that. I mean, you do make your own luck. I think um, mm-hmm. because I co- I originally played in Germany in a band Mm -hmm. and I moved back to England and I decided when I got back to England because I'd made quite a few records with the band at Abbey Road at the time
2: and um, I decided I, I wanted to
1: be a producer because a producer has got the best job of all because if you're in a band and your records don't sell, they drop you and that's pretty much it if you're a record producer and the band doesn't make it there's another band or there's another singer but there's always a chance still you know so that's why i decided i wanted to do that so i moved to germany and i didn't know anyone there when i got there so it was pretty tough for um
2: almost a year but within a year i met georgia And then within a year of that, we had a number one
1: hit in England called Son of My Father. Um, And there we were in Germany. It's quite strange. And so Giorgio, Donna, and myself,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: we'd all moved to Munich in our own ways. She she was obviously from Boston, America. Giorgio was from a little village in Italy called Ortizai. Okay. And I was from England. And so these three different nationalities just happened to meet. And, uh, yeah. And you get all these moments where if it wasn't for, it's like sliding doors, you know, that film. Um, if if I hadn't liked Leonard Cohen, you know Leonard, Leonard yes, Cohen? Yes, yes, yes. I went to his concert in Munich okay. when I was when i was still struggling and i didn't know anyone and i was sitting up in the gods where you, where you pay the least money possible <laughs> to watch someone and i was, it was called circus krona it was in a circus so you looked down into the pit and in the break halfway through the lights went on and i saw someone walking around on the on the ground floor there that i recognized from years before it was a photographer and I remembered him because he had very thick glasses and long black hair. So he was easy to spot. So I, I rushed down there and I said, Booby. He said, Pete. He remembered me. I thought oh. so I explained my difficulties. And this was in Munich. And he said, Well, I'm let me write down your number and I'll call you if I ever get a um a bit of information for, for you. So I'd heard that a few times in my life, of course. You always think they're going to throw the piece of paper away as soon as they walk out. But within a week, he called me from Hamburg and said he'd just met someone called Giorgio Moroder, who I'd never heard of. And so he linked me up, and I met Giorgio in Munich. He lived in Munich. Um, And that's how we started off together. So it just... If I hadn't liked Leonard Cohen, if I hadn't moved to Munich, you know, all these little things, you can keep going back, can't you? So I was one of the, the very very lucky ones. I I, I understand that um, because luck is, is the most important thing of all. <laughs> and there's a, and there's a, a writer called Samuel Beckett, uh, okay. quite famous, and he once said um, at a little saying ever tried ever failed no matter try again fail better which is a wonderful saying because that's, that's what everyone has to do you just have to when you fail make sure the next time round it's not as bad and just keep improving 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 uh, so that's one thing that I'd Saying that's been with me all my life. Am I going on too much here? <laughs>
0: no, no, not at all. I mean, I can uh, absorb a lot of this in my personal pursuit. Yeah. And uh, fun fact: I've been reading a book by Leonard Cohen called "Beautiful Losers." Have you? Read oh that? yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. It's
0: such a yeah. such a wonderful piece of work.
1: Oh yes, I was when I was very young. I was mad about Leonard Cohen. Just he was so fantastic, and his voice—he had such a tone in his voice. It's wonderful. Yeah,
0: yeah and very a great clever writer too. Very clever man. Uh, let us talk a little bit about your book, *The Unround Circle*. I think what comes out in your writing is this amazing ability to savor life, right? Uh, Even in what would appear to be the most ordinary of circumstances, in one of your stories, The Balcony, I'm forgetting the phrase uh, when something like, uh, above me, below me, ahead of me, there is so much to see, so much to savor. I'm a fortunate man for to find uh, peace on earth, which is a very uncommon thing. So, could you throw us some light as to your thought process behind these lines?
1: Yeah, well, I'd have to probably start by saying one of the things I've always been all my life is observant. I'm. Rather than participate, I rather observe,
2: if you know what I mean. And and I I find everyone is interesting. Really, Um, the people we
1: disregard sometimes can turn out to be the most interesting people ever. Um, But just because they don't shout it out, you just have to delve sometimes into people. And the
2: balcony, I. I just um, imagine this man um, who who has so little but much more than most of us um he this this man has
1: more going for him than the richest man in the world he he is he is so content because. He's not greedy. He doesn't want more. He's, he's been given and allotted this amount in his life and he's making the most of it. Um, and nothing gives him more pleasure than waking in the morning and seeing his own surroundings. He's not thinking, oh, I wonder what it's like in the big city or it must be wonderful to travel. He, he doesn't need it. He's, he's got everything he wants within him. Um, he's not a particularly intelligent man, but he's clever,
2: yeah, um and he's at rest, and
1: <clears throat> it's got a lot to do with myself as well, because I'm I'm, I'm I'm pretty laid back. I, d- I don't argue. I can't argue with people. Um, I don't like arguing. I just um and I've had a very, very smooth life. I've never had a crisis in my life or anything. I've just been one of those incredibly lucky lucky people. So I'm, I'm pretty peaceful myself, and I read all the time. Still, I've got a huge book collection. Uh, I, I just
2: love books, and I think books have.
1: Ah, they they give you so much. Um, Michelle, yeah, I. I you, know, when you when you go and see um, a film of a book and it's an hour and a half and it's not quite like the book, but you get to the book and you read the book and you spend the whole week with it and you come out of it and it's just, oh, it's like being in a dream, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yes, The Balcony, I, I'm I'm glad you picked on that because that's one of my favourite stories where, where nothing happens. Um, it's like there's another story in there where there's an old man on a bench and this boy walks by and he says, oh, that old geezer, oh, I don't... And he sits down and then little things come out from the old man. He's done this, he's, he's done all these incredible things and this kid has done nothing. But he had thought of this man as not having no value in life. But, you know, I think I think people... Astound us all the time. And I I think that's a wonderful
2: thing.
0: In terms of your spiritual quest, tell us about this process of internalizing the spirit. Do you personally embody the traditional spiritual techniques or practices? No, I'm
2: I'm I'm probably the the opposite. I, I was
1: born. I can say, I, I um, as a non-believer, I think I would say I am. Okay. Um, Georgia was agnostic and Donna was very religious. Oh. Um, so we had a, a triumvirate there of, of, of differences. Um, but we, we never really, I mean, D- Donna always tried to convert us, Georgia and myself. She was always trying that. and. Um, she knew that we were hopeless cases, but um, yeah, I'm 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 not s- sort of religious in that sense, but I I think I'm I like to think of myself as a, a caring person, a mindful person. Um, um, I I hope I'm I hope I'm kind. That's what I try to be. Well, I don't try to be, that's, I just. I just am who I am, and I I hope that I'm
2: a kind person who's helping people
0: sometimes. Uh, In that sense, we are living in an empirical age. Uh, Do you see the role of God
2: in any particular form? Personally. yeah, No. I can't I can't imagine that. Okay. Um no, I, I,
1: I I never could imagine that at all. Um okay. and I'm like everyone. I've got no idea how we got here, why we're here, or what we're doing. And anyone who says they know why they're here and what we're doing, I I take my hat off to them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just very happy to be here and um I, and one i i think i know there are lots of terrible things happening in the world all the time and it, it always seems like it's getting worse but it's not really i think if we took the numbers but i really do believe that most people are fundamentally nice um and it's and it's the minority who who mess the world up for us um but it doesn't need to be a big minority. It can be a small minority to cause things. Um, but fundamentally, I, th- I think we're very lucky to be here in this wonderful place. I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, why the grass is green and it grows, I don't know. but it's—I <laughs> I'm, I'm in awe of it. I mean, I, that's what it, I think um, being in awe... Is one of the most important things to to, to wake up because I live out in the countryside, and every other morning I look at the sky and it's, it's a different formation, and I think oh, it's just I'm I'm always there in wonder
2: of what's around us. Um, I
1: know, uh, and the funny thing about India because I've I just said to you before I've been been in India a few times when i've come back i've always felt so well um and while i was there there's something about india i know there's lots of chaos and all sorts of things and mumbai is busy and and but although it was chaotic I, it didn't feel like chaos to me at all um
2: and i just felt so well there i,
1: I it's hard to explain and and i loved or I love the the Indian people's attitude somehow. It's just
2: very, very, I don't know, rewarding
0: somehow. Given that you visited India on multiple occasions, have you developed some sort of affinity towards Indian musical forms?
1: Um, Yeah, I, I... I mean, it's it's all quarter tones, so it's obviously quarter tones make such a huge difference in music, doesn't it? It's um, yeah. it's uh, it, it takes quite a lot of getting used to and to trying to understand it. because It's quite different, but yeah, I, we had on our travels in India, we came across so much music there. It's just, um, I mean, music is everywhere, isn't it? Um, it's. I think you probably hear more music in India than you do here. I mean, it's incredible. Everywhere you go, there is music playing. Um, perhaps that's what makes the Indian people so calm and friendly. Um, I mean, mu- music is is the universal um, language, isn't it? Uh, that's, that's for sure.
2: sure.
1: I mean, and I've often tried to wonder what an Indian person from a small village who only knows quarter-tone music, when he hears Western music for the first time, that must be very strange.
2: In (laughs) semitones. Yeah. I can't imagine what they would think, but uh, it's strange.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about the significance of being inducted to the Dance Music Hall of Fame? What is it like to be given that recognition?
2: It's, um, it's an absolute honor. Um, I have to confess I've never
1: been to an award ceremony ever. And all the gold and platinum records when they were given, I, I've never been to anyone because I'm probably too shy. <laughs> so, um, I, I receive them gratefully they come in the post so I, I never, never pick anything up myself but uh, it's it, it's an absolute honour
2: hey. yeah Yeah, in fact um, yeah, on, on the wall here I'm just going to move back this. Um, okay this, this one here from, from the BMI that's for
1: Beyonce N- naughty girl oh wow um and that that I could have gone to the BMI Awards thing in America, but they just send it, so it's okay. <laughs> um so so they're, they're, they're wonderful things to receive. Um
0: yeah.
1: yeah, I'm 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 pleased, very pleased and honoured to have them because it's it, it's such a tough business so to to get any award for anything is uh is a privilege.
0: What kind of applause would you give yourself at this point?
2: Applause? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't give myself any
1: applause. I don't, perhaps I don't understand. Could you reformulate that?
0: In the sense that you've uh, had numerous accolades in terms of working with so many artists. You, you put out some incredible records together. So w- what kind of applause or what kind of credit would you give yourself for your contributions in the world of music at this po- at this point
1: oh, I'm, I'm i couldn't give myself any applause I, i'm i'm sorry i'm just not that person kind of person um, i'm I'm, ver- I'm very
2: pleased but um you know if. if
1: if I meet people that I've never met, I, w- I won't tell them what I do or what I've done. Um, it's I, I know what I've done,
2: and and that, that and that's enough. I, I don't. It's only the last perhaps seven years
1: that I've done interviews.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I've never done an interview before. Perhaps even six years ago, something like that. I'd never done an interview before,
2: um, but um, a record
1: company got me to go to a songwriters' evening one, one, one day, and I was interviewed in front of all these young kids, songwriters, and um, and I had such a good time because I I always thought um, I would ruin it or or it wouldn't be interesting enough, but but there was so much. Um, affirmation from the audience I really enjoyed it so I I sort of ended up doing interviews for the first time so I'm I'm pretty okay now <laughs> at doing that
2: but um, I, I I like to tell the stories because um, if it helps
1: anyone in any way to you know to make it because It's it's possible for everyone to make it if 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 they just, well, it's probably not possible for everyone, but but there's a possibility for everyone to to make it if if they believe in themselves. I mean that that's all, all it is. I mean, when I started out,
2: I I didn't think, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm great. I'm going to do this. I just thought that's what I want to do. It,
1: I I didn't know I was going to have a number one record anywhere. Um, I I never dreamed of it. I just dreamed of making a record. That was, you know, so I I think as you process your way through life, it's whatever you're doing at that very moment, that's all that matters. Um, Being in a band at the beginning that was the greatest thing ever before um, well, we made a record and then suddenly we made a record and that was the greatest thing ever and you i still wasn't thinking that that's going to be a hit um, and then then you get a hit and you think oh fantastic but you don't think there's another hit you're living in the moment i think in in i i think in in, in music um and that's enough um
2: I mean, other people will have big dreams, and I understand. But
0: I, I, I think I lived in the moment, moment always. Okay. Yeah. So you're more of a realist.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. Whatever, whatever it is, um,
1: I'm a bit of a loner as well. You know, I like <clears throat> I like um, just walking around cities on my own, and, and you know,
2: all that sort of. So I, I've.
1: I can't say I'm overconfident about anything. It's just doing what I wanted to do. As as long as you're doing something in life that you enjoy. You know, I mean, if I'd been a a, a great carpenter, I think that would have been fantastic, you know. (laughs) Um, A great whatever, you know. Are you having
0: a good time so far doing this interview? Oh
1: yes, yeah, yeah. it's going quite. Uh, this is quite different this interview because I, I understand you're trying to get to the heart of something else, which most interviews don't happen. Well, I've never had these kind of questions actually. You, they want facts under there, but you, I know you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what makes me tick in, in that sort of thing. Um, so, so that's why I'm a bit hesitant going off in strange directions as well because I'm
0: <laughs> not used to it. It's all right. It. You, can, you can do stuff in the heat at the moment. Feel free to forward <laughs> whatever comes your way. Okay. Uh, if you had to talk about concerns, there are some concerns that find expression through music. As a human being, what are your passionate concerns if we had to respond to problems like degradation of the environment, uh, responding more acutely to globalization of culture. So what are some of these things that you passionately feel about, you wave a flag and say, stop this right now?
2: Oh, gosh, that's a big list. That's a big list. Spontaneously, the first thing I think of, as you said that, is that what disappoints me now,
1: compared to when I was in my teens and the, and the early and the sixties, is that there was a lot of protest movement in songs. Lots, of, lots of the big bands, the Crosby, Stills, and Ash, Everyone was it interested in environments against the wars and, and all those sorts of things. And modern music now has so little
2: lyrical content expressing discontent
1: with what's happening. Um, the day of the protest singer was, was kind of gone. So I think the younger generation have kind of I don't know if they're despondent or what. I, I know there's Greta Thunberg and and lots of people like her, but I'm I'm talking I'm generalising. If you look at the charts, you 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 don't find anything political or environmental generally in there. So I th- I think I think that's slightly disappointing from from my point of view. Um, but I'm I'm aghast at so many things that. The plastic on the beaches Um, here in England, civilised England, you go out and drive in the car and you see that people have thrown rubbish out of their cars onto
2: the sides of the roads. Things like that. People like Putin ruining this, this world
1: attacking defenseless people, and now they're bombing women and children just because they want to,
2: who have have done nothing to them whatsoever. Um, But on the other hand, there are lots of great things
1: going on in the world, the the exploration. um, I mean, the the other day here, um, I was reading about a river. Mm in England, and this is just a, a silly little story, but it's a straight river, and it was made straight in in the 1850s. And it was a dead river. The water went through it, but nothing lived in it. So last year, they made it all bendy, uh, a couple of years ago, all bendy back to its old course, because they'd straightened it to stop flooding in the 1850s. Now it was a, a bendy river, and there are salmon there. There's all kinds of life. It's full of life. So it's these little stories that I will I'll see that and I think, it's fantastic. All these different people are doing these wonderful things. I mean, there are so many people working um,
2: on, on wonderful projects for the planet. Um,
1: and... I'm an optimist. I, I I don't I don't think the world's going asunder. I, th- I think I think we'll always find solutions to things. It may, it may take times, but we'll always find solutions. I, I, and I think there's a, a lot of hope for the
0: planet. You've talked about the sense of history, and that has to do with form. But it also has a lot of internal processes. If you we were to talk about making music, uh, you bring out colors through developing musical textures or patterns. So is there a technique a lot of musicians consciously use in their process? It's definitely a value- add from what I see. Uh, but do you see a, a shift in this particular tradition? in terms of a lot of modern artists towards their approach to music? Um,
2: I mean, the biggest change that I've seen is
1: in the way that music is written. Um, And I went to one of these sessions at Abbey Road, funnily enough, um,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. about a year and a half ago. And there were about 50 50 of us, and then we were put into different groups and we didn't know each other, and and then we had to
2: write a song straight off, Um, which I I found slightly
1: difficult because, yeah, I I wasn't... But that—that that is the way of writing now. And um, if you—if you—you you obviously look at the charts and you'll see six writers. I, I saw one the other day with eight writers on
2: there. Um. So, so you don't.
1: There's not this one man or two men or women in a room sitting there playing off each other, trying to find this way to a song. It's people who write bits of choruses, people who write intros, people who write this, it's, it's taking all little jigsaw parts and just putting them together. Um,
2: and it's probably because I'm just old fashioned. Um, but I, I find it's taken the soul out of music. Um, that's that's what
1: that's that's how I feel about it. Um, it's, I mean, recording and everything. Technically, it's absolutely fantastic what's going on. It's just ex- absolutely extraordinary. Um, uh, and the and the records,
2: they all sound great. But it's
1: it's. I think it's just a bit too formulaic. But there is a a backlash. I, I see a lot of now singer songwriters around here in in England. Um, quite a few of them. And I went to a singer-songwriter event two weeks ago in London. It's called The Other Song. And they have um, all all kids who are working. There's a Brit school here for music and uh, whatever. And they'll come in and each of them will sing two songs. And in the audience are lots of people in the business. And if they hear the song they like or something, they'll approach that singer and give them an opportunity or whatever. And you hear those people just getting up there with a the piano or on their own, and, and then you hear it quite different, um, and you, you hear that there really is a lot of talent there. Sometimes it's, I find it's easy probably for me to dismiss something that is so reduced, you know, everything. You don't know if the singer's really a good singer or not. You can't tell. Um uh, but then I see them at the sunrises and I think, oh, well, no, they're there. They're just, they're hidden uh, below all this, you know. Um, I'm probably not explaining myself very well now, but um, <laughs> um, I can't even remember what the original question was now. But
0: um, <laughs> Well, uh, I wanted to understand you know a lot of artists tend to play with musical textures
1: oh yes yeah that's right yeah
0: and colors which are associated with all of that uh so i w- i wanted to know how many musicians consciously use these techniques in their musical journey especially during modern times
2: yeah uh. It's a hard one to know how to how to answer. Really, um, I mean,
1: I, I I I haven't met these people, but I I do know there are, as you say, lots of people who who see colours when they're writing, and um,
0: right.
1: and and the colours will affect the mood, etc. Of the um, uh, in fact, I I knew a blind man.
2: Um, who thought, because he'd never seen Colours, but he thought he saw Colours when he wrote, which I, I found
1: quite interesting. Um, and he heard music completely different, in a completely different way to you and I. When, when we, whenever we finished recording, he would stand there and listen to the song, and he would spin on his feet, round and round and round, because he was listening to all the reflections coming off the walls and, and the glass. He he was hearing so much more than you and I would ever hear, ever. It was just, and he, he could hear exactly where it was all coming from. It was an incredible experience watching someone, hearing something in the same room as you, and you knew he was hearing something completely different. Yeah. So. Incredible. So that, that that's kind of a bit like some of these writers who are, you know, there, there are some absolute genius writers out there. Um, and, and you can imagine that, that, that their heads are full of something that most of us don't have and can't and,
2: and appreciate. Uh, yeah.
0: I don't have one of those heads. <laughs> <laughs> But you put put some incredible music out, though. Oh yeah, yeah. That's, that's what matters. Right?
1: That's that's just that's just joy, having fun in the studio. That's that's the main the one the
2: thing about disco. That at the time,
1: um, in its brief highlighted years, was mm-hmm. it brought so much joy to everyone because it made people dance.
2: Um and you you just
1: knew that you know people have been at work that day in an office doing something boring or or you know having a horrible job in the factory, and they go out in the evening, and they get in, and the music as soon as the music starts um and and particularly with disco, because that all on the floor is is the heartbeat, you know um before disco. There, there, there wasn't Four on the Floor on the drums. It never, um, the first time was on, on Love to Love Your Baby as a proper
2: Four on the Floor bass drum. Mm-hmm. Um, um,
1: but but if it's the primeval Four on the Floor that you see all these thousands of people who don't know each other, never seen each other, but they're all in the room, Waving their arms around, enjoying the moment. Um, it's like all these neutrons, all these separate neutrons, they suddenly come together and form some solid, massive joy, um, which is fantastic. And it was made that way as well. When when we were making it, we were we were having so much fun. I mean, we we really enjoyed ourselves and laughed our way through all all of our recordings. I think it was just a great, great positive thing, you know, just, and nothing was ever difficult. uh, We we worked incredibly fast. We never overthought anything. Things just sort of evolved and it was just one of those lucky periods. And then it stopped at the end in the about 1980 when punk said disco sucks and <laughs> disco is dead i remember seeing it on the walls in new york and i thought that's the end of disco and i thought i thought i'd never hear it again <laughs> i thought i really thought it was going to be finished and then it just slowly 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 percolated again and it's in all different forms now there's disco everywhere Because people just want to dance
2: and enjoy life and forget the the day they've just had, um, which is
0: wonderful. Uh, Let's talk about your career. It, It has spanned for several decades in different landscapes and different geographical environments. So have you felt a correlation when you look back between these environments and your work in some way, possibly?
2: Once again, you've caught me on something that I've never really analysed myself in in that way. Well, I don't know how to answer that. Um, I
1: I still have to come back to uh, living in the moment, um, really. I say when I was in a band
2: at at school, in the school band, everything seemed possible, everything was wonderful. and even now, I'm just as full of yeah. Um, I'm totally satisfied with life. I I, I love my life, um, mm-hmm. um, and I always have done. Um, e- even even when.
1: even when the success disappears, you know, the, the, the big success, and I never look back and think, oh, God, I wish I'd still have it, because I actually walked away from it um, for a while in, um, in the 80s. Um, I decided I didn't want to work in America anymore. Um, okay. I just wanted to come back to,
2: um, to, to England and... Uh, and just
1: have a calmer, quieter life, and and that's just whatever I've done. If I've been working and having success, or not working and having success, I've still felt exactly the same. I've never felt. I don't know what depression means. I've never, never been depressed.
2: I've never, yeah. So, and and because I've got my instruments around me as well, you know. I say it's that thing. Touch the touch the instrument. What could be better? Yeah. Uh,
0: I'm sure you've reached a stage of calling yourself a celebrity record producer, and, <laughs> I think and so. you're just you're just extremely modest.
1: No no. <laughs> Listen, when you look around, the other day I met um Rodney Jerkins. Okay. okay. So he's
2: probably the biggest producer writer in the world, I
1: would say, really big once anything. Um I stood next to him and I thought, you know, this is the real deal. <laughs> that's that's the real deal, you know. Um yeah, no, I'm I'm Quite seriously, I'm. I'm. I've been moderately successful. Some of these guys are just mega successful, you know. Fair Those. enough.
0: Fair enough. Uh, you can be a moderately successful record producer. Uh, one might think that once you reach a certain level, that whatever you produce sells in the market. So when you reach that particular stage, isn't there temptation and almost? To put out to the entire world everything you create,
1: yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think it was the opposite with us when we started out, Georgia and I. We, we worked so hard, um, in the studio, um, and we made so many records, it was extraordinary. <laughs> um, and the more success we had, the less we did, um. When we were when we were working hard, we'd we'd be finishing, we'd start at probably 10 in the morning and finish at midnight. That doesn't sound that long for rock and roll, I guess, but, but it's a long day in the studio. And and as soon as we had success, we worked from 10 in the morning till six, because then we could go out to restaurants and, and just you know have a nice evening. Um and it was still productive. And um, sometimes when you do
2: too much um a,
1: a, a lot of it is garbage then you know you're just doing whereas if you' if you're cutting down, you know it's it's a, a lot easier we we never had in all all the um sort of stuff we've ever done with the we never did too much um for example if Whichever album you choose, if there are eight songs on there, that's all we wrote. There was never a ninth song that we'd left off, or a ninth song that we got halfway through and stopped. We only ever recorded what we wrote for the album. That sounds very strange now because, at the moment, albums are coming out all over the place from um, big bands, all sorts of people, of songs that they recorded in the studio, but never released, didn't make it onto the album. With Donna, you can't do that. There's only that there. There's nothing extra.
2: Um, so,
1: yeah. I don't know why I'm saying that, but that's, that's one of the things. That, oh, yes, yeah, too much and too little, yeah. So, yeah, know, we, we probably cut down more and more as we... And 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 I look back and we... We had so many offers as well, you know, the Hall and Notes and all, all, all sorts of big names that we just turned down, not not for arrogance or so, but, but because life was good as it was, you know, it was okay. You didn't, didn't need that. And we were doing
2: probably a, two or three albums a year with Donna, which people don't
1: do now really. You don't have that many albums. Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, You did mention about Giorgio uh, on several occasions uh, during our conversation. Uh, From what it looks like, you've had a great uh, relation, which has been uh, a very long and enduring one. Uh, You've been very closely identified, you know, in terms of putting out music with him. So what is so unique and special about this particular relation with Giorgio?
2: I don't know. It's, um, I think we, we hit it off right from the beginning. Um, we, we got on very well. <clears throat>
1: I, I started off when I first met Georgia. <clears throat> As I said at the beginning, um, I was really struggling to get a job. And I became his, that's in 1970, I joined him, and, and I became his assistant. Mm. Okay. Um, so this was my first job, and I was really thankful to get to get that because it was difficult. And on the very first day when I went up to, to work for him, he came out of his um, suite, and uh, he handed me his attaché case, and he said, if you carry that for me, please. And I said, I'm really sorry. I'll do anything for you, but I
2: cannot carry your case. And he said, "Okay." And when I look back, I mean, uh,
1: I probably shouldn't have said that because he might have said, "Off you go then." But he was okay, and and so we worked
2: together for a year. Of course, I was an apprentice
1: really; I was learning everything properly. And after a year, um, a record company offered me a job as a house producer so that I would work for Ariola Records only for their artists and produce and I told George that and he said that's fine so off I went for a year and then one day because we still still saw each other all the time and then he said to me come back to me and we'll be equal partners how do you like that? so I said fantastic
2: so we became equal partners, and 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 everything went well. And we've always got along well. Um,
1: he's he's Italian, as you know, and, and I'm English, but we talk to each other in German still to this day.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: wow. um, yeah, be, be, because we were in Munich, and that's uh, in in the studio. Every everyone was speaking German. Um, and I spoke fluent German as well, so that's what that's what we did. Um, but he's um, he's good. He's got he's he's very funny. He's got good humour. Um, I got I know lots of very funny stories about about him that that uh, quite entertaining. Um, yeah, he's 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 a
2: very very talented man. Um, And he was very successful
1: before I met him. He lived in Berlin, and he had big hits with what they call bubblegum music, Hmm. um, which is kind of a poppy music. Um, So he was, as I say, very successful already before. I'd never heard of him, but um,
2: that's what I found out later. Um,
1: Yeah, so... um, and he came from a family of, of artists. His, his younger brother was a paint is a painter, um, and in this village they're all wood wood craftsmen. They can all carve beautiful carvings and wood and everything. So, so that they're all quite artistic anyway.
0: Yeah. You mentioned of uh, funny anecdotes with him. Would you like to share some with our listeners out here? Probably. Uh, probably one or two uh, at yeah. the top of your head
1: um they're, they're silly
2: things I mean, I mean one of the things that,
1: it's not a story but he always got names confused he, um always one of his things and you know there's a band called Judas priest a rock yeah. band yeah and he would always call them jesus christ he he, he <laughs> couldn't so so he made mistakes like that all the time Right. <laughs> but there was one time I was in the studio. I was um, oh no, we were okay. Here's one.
2: We were in a restaurant in L.A. Sitting there,
1: and then George went, "Oh Christ!" He said, "Look who's come in! That guy." He said, "I hate him. I hate him. I hope he doesn't see me.
2: I hate him." So I said, "After I said he's gone past George, okay." So, George said, yes. Excuse me, you shouldn't have shouted. George said to me, What a question. I said, What's that? He said, I've forgotten why I hate him. Yes. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I have to do this one again.
0: Yeah, I get some water. <clears throat>
2: So Giorgio couldn't remember why he hated him, but he knew he hated him. Who was
1: he? I don't know. I I'd never seen him before, but right. Georgia just knew he didn't he hated him. <laughs> and then
2: another time we were in <clears throat> we there was a cafe where the studio was. This was early on. Okay. And we'd sit there, and a
1: a girl would go by her, and Georgie would look at her like that. And then he'd say to me, What was she like? I said, you know, she's she's bronzy." And he said that a few times. I suddenly thought, hold on. And there was a cigarette machine near us. And I said, Georgie, read that machine there. Can you can you read them, the packets of cigarettes? And he looked at it and he squinted his eyes and he said, Cigaretten. I said, no, not the big sign, the small sign. And I suddenly realized he, he could hardly see. <laughs> Why this was worrying, he had um, a Ferrari Dino. Oh, okay. And we used to go down to his place in Italy in the Ferrari Dino, the two of us. And we'd been down there quite a few times in the pouring rain. And I thought, I said, Giorgio, you've been driving me at 150 miles an hour down the motorways, and you can hardly see. So he went to the opticians the next day, and of course they verified he could hardly see. Oh no! I thought, I thought, oh my god!
0: <laughs> <laughs> like You've been a very lucky um, man. And then, and then we were in, um, in New York, in a bar.
1: It was some party. I'm not sure. Anyway, Georgia was in the corner. And Georgia loved ladies definitely. And I, I looked over, and he was getting all closer, and it was it was a
2: a black girl, a very very beautiful black girl. And the guy came
1: up to me and said, "Um, you need to tell Georgia something." I, I said, "What's that?" He said, "That is a man." I said, "That's a man?" He said, "I promise you." Now Georgia. <laughs> That's the big fear of his life. So I I went over and I whispered in his ear and he he ran out of that place. <laughs> so <fast>. oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. oh there are just so many f- funny little stories all, all the way along.
0: Yeah. Incredible, incredible to hear all of this.
1: <laughs> oh, the, he he made um one of his albums he he made um Nights in White Satin, which yeah. was, a, it was a big hit with um, the original band, Moody Blues.
0: Yeah.
1: <clears throat> and they came to our studio in Munich to record another album.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so we're in there, and one of the musicians, they did a spoof, they said to him, they said, Georgia, Justin Haywood, the singer and the writer, he said, he's coming down to see you. He's so angry with what you did to his song. He really, he he might beat you up. <laughs> and Georgia went running out. Of course, it wasn't true. You know the guy. <laughs> yeah. No, and he's, he's, but he's, he's got a lot of humour. Georgia, he's very, he's very very funny. Uh,
0: you've composed music for films. Uh, you produce music, you write music. You're interested in exploring so many possibilities with the realm of music. So what, what, what motivates or prompts you to say, well, now I'm going to work on this particular score. Uh, on the contrary, you say that I'm looking at a performance at, at a place like the Studio 54 Disco Nightclub. Uh, For instance, so one is sort of three-dimensional in a tangible sense and the other is sort of unidimensional, but then it creates three-dimensionality in the sense, right? So what is this sort of interaction or relationship between the two for someone like you?
2: Um. So...
1: Yeah, I think it's like you said earlier about some songs are visual. When there's one Donna song that I wrote called On Sunset. Mm -hmm.
0: It's On Sunset Strip? Yeah. Okay.
1: And and, um, it's just called On Sunset, though. Sunset People. Sunset People. Okay. And um, because I used to drive down that a lot, I used to uh, observe, and I'd always see that you know, the different kind of people that hung around on sunset, you know, and it was, um, it always sounded quite romantic, but it wasn't quite. And so then I visualised all these people on sunset at night, um, and I put that in, in, into the song. Um, so that was that was purely visual. Um, I wasn't making anything up, really, because these are all the people that I'd seen, right. um, if, if that's what you mean, something like that. Yeah. Um, but I've always, <clears throat> when it comes to songwriting, generally I've always been, it's the title that intrigues me. And I've going back to <clears throat> when I was 18, I still have notebooks with song titles and I still write them down in my on my iPhone mm-hmm. a few times a week because I, I'm always thinking of song titles, and I love I love cleverish titles, and not always cleverish, but um, um, <clears throat> and what, when I was um, very young, I read there was a rock and roll singer um, from New Orleans. Um, a black guy called Fats Domino. Okay, and in an interview, he was asked how he came up with all these wonderful titles for his songs, and he said, "I just listen." And they said, "What do you mean?" He said, "When people talk, I listen, and in their conversations, you hear song titles." And and that stuck with me. And I I I, I often often hear people talking, and I hear a phrase, and I think, ah, there. Yeah. Um, because I, I I I do really love song titles, um, so I say I've got books and books of song titles. But but once I've written them down, I can recall them pretty much easily. Um, but that that is a great springboard for me. Right. Um, um, but often melodies pop up, and that and that is wonderful now with the, with with iPhones and things because I can. Put them down because it's it is quite easy to come up with what you think is a great idea and get home and think, oh God, I can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, or or you'll hear sometimes I I, I I hear a drum pattern in in my head and I think oh that that's good. Sometimes a tempo t- tempos are very important in songs. I think they're really really important. Um, yeah. Uh and just just two or three beats too fast or too small can can make so much difference. Um, um, as with keys, you know keys, um, I mean that's the amazing thing with Donna. We never wrote a song in her key. She just oh. sang in the key that we gave her the song in <laughs> um, <laughs> It's, it sounds strange, I know, but that's <clears throat> that. That's how some of these songs come. came off so so fluky. Um,
0: I'm sure she's been able to adapt pretty well. Uh, you know, singing on any particular key, for that matter.
2: I
1: mean, we didn't work it out, but I mean, unfortunately, Macarthur Park <clears throat> was naturally her key as well, because. That has got such a a range. That's the only song we ever recorded where she had to have one go at the high note at the end, another second go. Otherwise, she sang it all in one. Um, But that was a a pretty difficult song. There's a a story about MacArthur Park I could tell you if that'd be. Sure, sure. Yeah,
0: I'd I'd love to hear that. Go for it.
1: So, we've done an album called Live and More. Recorded with an orchestra. Oh,
0: okay.
1: Um, at Universal Studios, so we had three.
0: Where, where is that? Where is it? Where oh, is sorry, in
1: Hollywood. Hollywood. In Hollywood. Okay. Okay. Sorry. Right. Um, so, so it was with a huge orchestra, I, thought, I counted. I counted it the other day, just a matter of interest on the on the credits. I think it's about eighty people on stage. It was massive. Massive. And um, so we had enough material for three sides of an album. And Neil Bogart from Casablanca Records, he wanted to record um, an old hit. He didn't know which one, but he wanted an old hit on the fourth side with a couple of songs. Just, just wanted to do a cover version of some hit. So <clears throat> he organised us to go to um, Westlake Studios um, mm-hmm. on a Sunday. That's where Thriller was made and all those big Michael Jackson songs. Oh, okay. And um, so we were there, there was Donna, the record company people, a few musicians, Georgia and myself, a good bunch of people, <clears throat> an arranger, and all we had to do was sit there, talk and just throw out names of songs that we thought were great from the past, and we kept going and going, and... and You'd mention the sign, everyone would go, oh, yeah. But, but no, perhaps not. And So this went on for a couple of hours. They sent okay. out coffee and cakes and everything. And it was really coming to the end. We couldn't think of anything. And at the very beginning, I'd thought of MacArthur Park because it's one of my favourite songs. It's by Richard Harris. But a lot of people hated that song. It was one of those, they call it bovel here, um, marmite, which is a kind of a a paste that you either hate it or you love it when you eat it, you know. Okay. So there's no in-between, it's binary. So I didn't want to mention it because I I thought I'd be embarrassed because they'd all laugh at me. Anyway, it came to the very end. We were just about to pack up and I said, what about MacArthur
2: Park? And Neil Bogart, he kind of went, yeah. And they sent out for the record
1: Made the record And of course it's it was obvious That it's good for done Because it starts off slowly a bit Typical disco record And just keeps building and building and building So um, The arranger Greg Matheson He was sent home straight away To write the um, score And the score was pages and pages long Because it's such a Intricate, clever song. And, and we finished recording it in a couple of days. And um, And it went, went to number one. And it was number one for about three weeks, I think. It was, a, it was our first number one. Oh, wow. And um, this was written by Jimmy Webb. Okay. He's a very, he's a very famous songwriter. And about 12 years ago, I saw <clears throat> Jimmy Webb was appearing in a town not far from here, mm-hmm. and I'd never seen him, and I thought, I must go and see him because it was his first and only number one ever in his oh. career. Okay. So I thought, I must go and see him. So I went to this place, and there were only a few people there. There was a very high stage, right. and I don't know, 20, 25 men, that men, no women, just men, middle-aged. It's a very strange crowd. And when it finished, Jimmy Webb had written his autobiography and he had his book there for everyone to buy it and have it signed. Well, I already had the book, so I just just queued up. I just wanted to say hello to him. So I I waited my turn. I got to him and he's writing when he looks up and I said, Jimmy, my name's Pete Bellotti and I I produced MacArthur Park. and,
2: And he went, Oh, and then he carried on. I
1: was dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> he made me feel so small. <laughs> and I, th- I, thought, I thought you we were going to say at least, oh, great, you know, my my only number one. <laughs> so it's was quite disappointing, but still, but I still admire him so much. Is a fantastic songwriter, absolutely brilliant is one of my favourite songs, I and mean,
0: Donna did such a good job on that.
1: Yeah,
0: incredible. Uh, do you believe in the cycles of life and rebirth, and the many musical masterpieces as you see? Uh, if you were to look back upon your work and and your life, uh, and I'm sure, you know you, you're a realist and you foresee uh, an incredible future for you in terms of the landmarks or the milestones that you're reaching out to. Uh, Have you been able to achieve all of that and uh, surrender to music and, and the entire process? Or do you still see there are certain milestones or landmarks that you'd like to get at?
2: Um, I obviously I'd, I'd i'd love to write something that became a big hit. Still, I, I'd i like that, but mm-hmm. um, it's
1: it's it's not that important. <laughs> um, um, I don't. I I mean, I I come into the studio all the time, but I don't come in here with that kind of purpose. i just come in because I want to play and have fun. Um, um, so, so I don't have any designs like that,
2: because um, <clears throat> I mean, it's, it's very rare in, in, in the writing, in, in songwriting, to carry on through your whole life
1: with successes, I mean there there are certain people who, who have done that, um, and it's a lot easier perhaps if you if you're in a band, you know you've got to But um, I think it's like um, authors in books and painters. There's is usually
2: a kind of a prolific period. Um,
1: usually, when people are much younger. Um, where there's just so much energy and ideas and it's all bursting to come out. Um, And I guess so much has already been released.
2: um, It's not not easy to keep coming up with things that are going to take you higher. Um, I mean, I say there there are people that, that do carry on. Um, uh, people like Andrew Lloyd Webber,
1: um, who writes all the musicals, he he just keeps going and writing. I say, but he's an exception. Um,
2: and, <clears throat> and
1: of course, I think it's important that anyway that the you know the, there's there's a lot of space for the younger. Set to come along um, and and take over. Um, that, that's what they're
2: there for, isn't it? Youth. Um, and <clears throat> they
1: well, one of the things I, I I think that is is more difficult now for songwriters. <clears throat> but this is only my thought. Is that when when my generation started out, we were all in bands playing in bands. And in these bands, you just played covers, all the hits, the top 20, the top 30. You went all around the country every night almost playing hits. And you were subconsciously learning the art of songwriting without knowing it. So you would understand what makes a great chorus, why you need a bridge why you don't need a bridge, um, why you should have two verses, not three verses. Um, had, did you notice that night because you played that song too slow, they didn't dance as much? Um, you learn so much. And now we're in an age where there's nowhere for young kids to play to someone else. You know, We don't have any clubs anymore really in, in England, small clubs. Um, um, and and there are some covers bands, but they're all people in who are fifty playing in them. You know, so the young kids don't get to learn the apprenticeship of songwriting and, and playing in front of audiences, which I think makes it harder
2: to to be a songwriter. I think that's that's just my.
0: My opinion. Fair enough. Uh, in the interest of time, uh, I'd like to come to the last part of our agenda, which is the most interesting uh, round, which is called the rapid fire round. And oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> I'm
0: going to be, gonna be <laughs> giving you some very simple questions. Uh, you <laughs> don't have to think too much. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy this particular segment. So first question for you, Pete. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) What is that one song that always makes you cry?
2: God.
1: I can't answer that. <laughs> that's all right, that's I, all right. No, no, I, I can answer it by saying I, I don't know a song that's made me cry.
0: Okay. Uh, on the contrary, uh, what is your favorite guilty pleasure song?
2: Oh, um, oh God, these are terrible things. <laughs> um, guilty pleasure. Um I'd say
1: anything by earth, wind, and fire.
0: Oh, good choice. Uh, if you had the chance to put together an all-star disco music group, who would be in it?
1: <laughs> oh, my god. I thought these were simple.
2: Uh, my god. That is so difficult. So I've been I've worked with so many great musicians.
1: But, um, that, that is just that's another question that I just couldn't answer because there's just no, there are too many. I'm just going through bass players and then I'm thinking, oh my god.
0: But but who comes who comes I, at the top of your head in terms of uh, bass players? Maybe you can pick one of them, uh, given there's budget constraint.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I I would just say put put chic together. That's, that's good enough for me. Okay. No Rogers, yeah, Rogers
0: uh, and Chic, wonderful.
1: Who, who who I met recently, and he, he's such a nice man. Yeah, but I've that's the ultimate cool. that's the ultimate disco band because they right. are so funky. Yeah.
0: I've I've been really trying so hard to get him on my show, but he's got such a busy itinerary throughout the year it's it's very uh, hard to sort of get time with him ah
1: uh, uh, do do you get hold of Mer- 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 merc because he yeah. he's after him
0: right i will uh, in fact i'm 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 talking to his p r team uh yeah and they are like my point of contact at this point let's let's hopefully look at something uh, positive in twenty twenty
1: three yeah <laughs> you'll have a pool with him because he's yeah. very knowledgeable. For sure. um,
2: yeah. yeah. What is your favorite cuisine? Cuisine? Mm-hmm. Salads.
0: Okay. Uh, what, about, what about Indian food? Any kind of Indian food? Any specific um, dish that you enjoyed during your um, time here? Well, there's
1: one thing I have. Uh, there's a, a a chain of restaurants here called the Ivy.
2: Okay. They're
1: very upmarket, fantastic, and they do a Kerala curry. Uh huh. And and I have that every time I go
0: there. <laughs> is it is it some is it some kind of vegetable stew that you're talking about?
1: No, it's not a stew. It's um, it's got it's a uh, rice and. Oh, I don't know how it's made it. I can't cook, you see. <laughs> <laughs> I can only eat. <laughs> but yes, that's that's what my favorite is, Kerala curry.
0: Kerala curry, lovely. Uh, what are the top five must-haves <laughs> oh, for any, any aspiring producer to get started?
1: Okay.
2: No drugs. No drink. Okay. Determination. Um, no regrets. And only try to please yourself.
0: Incredible.
2: Is that five?
0: Yeah, that's five. Yeah. I have one last question for you, which is a. What are you doing here? <laughs> uh, not at all it's it's been it's been such a fun interview uh we've we've, we've in fact exceeded our time uh, limit it's 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 been such such an interesting interview that uh, i've never been able to keep track of time uh, so coming back to my question uh down in the distant horizon what would you want to be remembered as
2: what would I want to be remembered as? Mm-hmm. I don't need to be remembered. Okay. Bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's It's been an incredible privilege having you on, on my show. Uh, the show will be additionally aired on two incredible radio stations in the northeastern part of India, uh, Big FM, Shillong and Azol, And it'll be also out as an audio video format, uh, podcast on YouTube, and it'll also be on all major streaming platforms for consumption. And I'll be sure to share these links with you once the interview is out. Uh, And it's it's been an incredible privilege having you on the show. Uh, Thank you so much for the patience,
1: Adesia, Uh, I I don't say thank you for asking all the wrong questions (laughs) (laughs) and catching me out. And I apologise for not answering them.
0: That that is that is completely fine. That is completely fine. You've given me a, (laughs) a great. Uh, you've given me great insight and a lot of life lessons that, that I'll carry forward in the next couple of years in my, my personal music musical pursuit. And uh, thank you so much for taking time out. Uh, as, as we continue to celebrate a dozen marvelous musical pieces, the showmanship that you've displayed in terms of your abilities as a writer, a producer, and you've made a countless number of people dance of their feet (laughs) thank you so much for everything it's been a great blessing honor and a privilege thank you so much pete my pleasure Uh, do stay in touch and i'd love to host you in india very soon that'd be fine thank you thank you for everything bye-bye
1: thank you take care bye